There is a cliche, and maybe it's a myth in boxing, that goes something like this. Every great fighter has one last great fight in him. Now, the classic example, of course, is George Foreman. Decades removed from winning the gold medal in the Olympics and knocking Joe Frazier down like a hundred times in the classic Howard Cosell, down goes Frazier call. At 45 years of age, setting up and knocking out the champion Michael Moore in the 10th round. Much more recently, just last year, in fact, Manny Pacquiao, the Filipino senator, at 40 years of age, outdueled Keith Thurman, maybe not the best welterweight in the world, but the man with the best claim as the true welterweight champion. That's just July of 2019. Go back to 1989, Roberto Duran, long past his reign in the 70s as the great lightweight champion. He went and beat Iran Barkley by decision to win the middleweight championship of the world in one of the decade's biggest and most shocking upsets. Jump forward to 2012. Another pair of American heavyweights in a different realm released what are likely to be their final studio albums. I'm of course talking about Van Halen's A Different Kind of Truth, released on February 7, 2012, and then Aerosmith's Music from Another Dimension, released on November 6, 2012. Are these records akin to that legendary drive to dig down deep and give one last great fight? Or are they representative of that more common boxing fate that you leave the ring bloody and beaten up? That's this time on Well Disguised. Okay, maybe I should stop doing this, but just like my last episode on the cult, my premise is perhaps a little flawed from the beginning, or at least just has a bad comparison, I guess. Look, most boxers, even great boxers, don't really have that last one great fight. For every George Foreman or Roberto Duran, there's a lot more Joe Frazier's or Larry Holmes or Roy Jones Jr. or Mike Tyson, fighters where there just isn't that last great fight. And for bands... Look, there just aren't that many bands that have been around as long as Van Halen. And naturally, there's even fewer that have been around as long as Aerosmith. And then even fewer still have had a great late career peak. Everyone knows that the peak is usually in the first few records. It seems frequently it's the fourth record. Sometimes maybe it's the fifth or the sixth. But it's really rare that you have a special album late in your career. So not only do bands rarely have the longevity that we're talking about here to begin with, fewer still have that really special album that measures up to the highlights of their career at the very end. Of course, there's going to be some fine albums at the end of artists' careers, like David Bowie's Black Star, for example. But even the most ardent David Bowie fan or Black Star fan isn't going to probably rank it alongside Ziggy Stardust or Aladdin Sane. All that said, let's see where we are with these two records, and begin by checking in with where each band was pre-2012. Let's start with Aerosmith. Steven Tyler debuted as a judge on American Idol, 
on January 19, 2011. Now, those years had been tumultuous for sure, partially, no doubt, because anywhere from one to four of the band members were using drugs again. In 2009, Steven Tyler fell from the stage at the bike rally in Sturgis, South Dakota, was injured, and later complained no one from the band ever checked on him in the hospital, surely not a sign of a healthy situation. There were rumors that the band was looking at trying to go on tour without him, perhaps replacing him with Lenny Kravitz as the singer. They took shots at his sobriety. For his part, Tyler said publicly he wanted to spend two years working on, quote, brand Tyler. American Idol, of course, was part of that. And maybe if you've seen those pictures of Steven Tyler's feet, it's not a bad idea. He was able to make millions of dollars just sitting down for a change. But as they do seemingly all the time in the Aerosmith camp, by the end of the year, 2011, things were looking up. The band went on tour to Central and South America as well as Japan. Japan, if you'll recall, was recovering from big earthquake and tsunamis. And Aerosmith was one of the first acts to tour there extensively. They even released a DVD of those concerts called Rock for the Rising Sun. That package chronicled that tour shortly after the Fukushima nuclear plant suffered a meltdown. The band was inspired at that point and playing such a way that they felt an urge to get that energy to the studio and come out with a record. Music from Another Dimension would be Aerosmith's first studio album since 2004's Honking on Bobo. But that record is really, well, it only has one original song on it. Otherwise, it's a cover of a lot of classic blues songs. You have to go back to 2001 for the most recent studio record from Aerosmith. That, of course, being Just Push Play. So, 11 years, right? 2001 to 2012. That's a long time, right? Well, let's talk about Van Halen. Again, A Different Kind of Truth was released in February of 2012, making it Van Halen's first studio album since the ill-fated Van Halen 3 record with lead singer Gary Sharon. That came out in 1998. However, even more distant was the last recording with David Lee Roth. While they did a couple of songs on a Best of Volume 1 release in 1996, the last Van Halen album with Roth on the microphone was 1984's 1984, 28 years prior. Now look, few bands are better suited to look one another in the eye than Aerosmith and Van Halen. When Aerosmith re-released a lot of their Columbia Records catalog in the 90s, each album was accompanied by a little red sticker that said, America's Greatest Rock and Roll Band. Now, of course, this is marketing, even if it may be true. Still, lots of bands have a claim to that, whether it's the Beach Boys or the Doors or the Grateful Dead or Leonard Skinner, Pearl Jam, on and on and on. Lots of bands can dispute it, not least of whom is Van Halen, who arguably has the most influential guitar player in history on its roster. By the way, it's potentially interesting, I suppose. Aerosmith and Van Halen have never toured together. I mean, who would open, right? Regardless, another way that they look eye-to-eye is in band turmoil. I mentioned how Van Halen recorded two songs with Roth for a best-of compilation. Just to be brief about this period of their history, Sammy Hager left Van Halen as a result of that, but then Eddie decided he couldn't work with Dave So they got Gary Sharon in, fired him after that disaster of an album to reunite with Sammy. They toured and released another Greatest Hits album. But then the Van Halen brothers got rid of Sammy and bassist Michael Anthony and replaced them with, once again, Diamond David Lee Roth on vocals, 
and Wolfgang Van Halen on the bass. However, here is arguably one important difference between the bands. At the time of Van Halen's 2012 release of A Different Kind of Truth, this turmoil was actually several years in the past, whereas the wounds and maybe the substances were much fresher in the Aerosmith camp. Van Halen toured with Eddie, Alex, and Wolfgang Van Halen, along with Roth in 2007 and 2008, and if they didn't love each other, the tour was successful, and the band learned how they could work together at least for a while. All of which brings me to the question, did either of these American heavyweights give that one last great performance? Yes. I've always thought that Aerosmith was the better band, but Van Halen, at least until the wretched Van Halen 3 record, had never released a bad album. Aerosmith's got higher highs, but they've got lows too. That said, in my view, A Different Kind of Truth totally fits in with those first six classic Van Halen records with David Lee Roth, whereas Music from Another Dimension is one of the worst, if not the worst, album in the Aerosmith catalog. Now, I bet you may think a lot of Van Halen fanboys are pumping their fists right now, but there's a lot of hate out there for A Different Kind of Truth, even among Van Halen fans. I can attribute it to two things. First, Michael Anthony is not on the album. Michael Anthony, of course, is the beloved bass player throughout basically almost all of Van Halen's history. He seems like a nice guy, seems like a good guy. He's also loved by many for his backing vocals and his harmonies. Well, here's the thing. I've never really liked Michael Anthony's voice. Wolfgang Van Halen is a capable bassist, of course. And he's also the winner of the genetic lottery. If you haven't figured it out or didn't know by now, Wolfgang Van Halen is Eddie Van Halen's son with Valerie Bertinelli. To me, though, he still has a knack for those harmonies, that higher voice. It's just not quite as squeaky as Michael Anthony. Call me crazy and pardon the pun, if you will, but he's the best of both worlds. He's a good bassist, for sure, and he's a good and a little less annoying singer to me. So, in my book, Wolfgang is actually an upgrade, but I realize I'm in the minority on that. At this point, maybe I should also say not to pat myself on the back or to downgrade classic rock fans, but I may be slightly among the more open-minded classic rock fans who are open to new things and new ideas when it comes to music. So, I was willing, and am still willing, obviously, to give the kid a chance. The second reason, though, that a lot of classic rock fans and even Van Halen fans were not as crazy about A Different Kind of Truth is that a lot of the songs on there we've perhaps heard before. They're old thoughts and demos that have been reshaped by Van Halen before coming out in 2012. This is something that's actually very similar to Music from Another Dimension, which I'll get to soon. A Different Kind of Truth, though, is 13 songs long, and about half of which are reworked songs from demos in the 70s. For example, the old song Big Trouble has become Big River on a different kind of truth. Out of Space is another reworked song from the 70s. She's the Woman, the song that's considered by many to be the best on the album. It's also another survivor from the famous Gene Simmons-produced demos that came out called Van Halen Zero. So yes, there's some reheated song ideas here. And... Michael Anthony's not going to be there. Still, 
Other than the fact that it doesn't have a cover song, which was kind of common for the original Van Halen, this album really flows. And why? It's because Van Halen is a really good rhythm section with one of the finest guitar players in history, maybe the most fiery of all the guitar players, and a singer in David Lee Roth with more personality than anyone else. What Roth lacks in traditional vocal chops, he more than makes up for, not only in his personality, but in his songwriting. That brilliance is most apparent in the song Blood and Fire, off A Different Kind of Truth, when David Lee Roth says, Told you I was coming back. Say you missed me. Say it like you mean it. And then Eddie does, not vocally, of course, but by ripping off the best solo on the album. In the album's best song, You and Your Blues, David Lee Ross steals titles from half a dozen other songs to make his own story. Or there's the line that a lot of people, when this album came out, kind of seized on David Lee Ross singing, When you turn on your stereo, does it return the favor? That's from the song The Trouble With Never, which is maybe the other best song, the second best song on the record. David Lee Roth goes full Leonard Cohen at one part. There's also another clever little part within that song where David Lee Roth sings that he has a simple question regarding time. Suppose you wait forever and then you change your mind. Elsewhere, David Lee Roth gives us his opinion on the age-old religious question of fate versus self-determination when he sings... God guides us on our journey, but careful with those feet. Even in a silly song like Bullethead, which seems to be a song about just driving in traffic, it's clear that David Lee Roth cares as much about his lyrics as Eddie Van Halen does about his guitar playing. It's that wit and personality that Sammy Hager couldn't match. And that's why Van Hager went broader with ballads and that sort of thing. And anyway, that's an age-old argument. I digress. I don't want to get into it. Besides, Dave versus Sammy is like the sports radio equivalent of does Pete Rose belong in the Hall of Fame? I may need that for a future episode. Anyway, there's a few clunkers on a different kind of truth. The aforementioned bullet head is not great. Honey Baby Sweetie Doll is another pretty bad one. But other than that, a different kind of truth is really outstanding. So what about music from another dimension? I even wrote the word sigh here in my notes. Van Halen released an album that can sit alongside their classics with one keyboard on one track. And Aerosmith released arguably one of their worst records, repeating the mistakes of their most popular era, just with a lot worse songs. What's wrong with music from another dimension? Well, there's also kind of like a different kind of truth, a lot of old songs, leftovers from at least the pump sessions or as far back as the pump sessions. And pump, you know, came out in 1989. Pump is a great album. It's one of my favorites. But Aerosmith has raided those sessions time and time again. The songs that were left in 2012 are pretty tired. Also, Jack Douglas is the producer of Music from Another Dimension. Now look, Jack Douglas is a legend. He's produced many of Aerosmith's greatest records, including Get Your Wings, Toys in the Attic, Rocks, Draw the Line. He met... John Lennon, when he engineered the Imagine album, he also produced Double Fantasy, Lennon's album with his wife Yoko. He's produced lots of other records. He's even produced one of the albums by my favorite band, Clutch. He produced Elephant Riders, which has a suitably kind of muddy sound 
from earlier in their career. So it all sounds great, right? Jack Douglas is clearly someone who is capable and knows more about music, has forgotten more about music than I'll ever know. But I want to tell a quick story about Jack Douglas that I think maybe relates back to him in a weird way. So I don't know if you remember, if you're of a certain age, the old day of Usenet forums early in the internet. I discovered them when I was in college in the early to mid-90s. And there was a news group or bulletin board or what have you for everything under the sun, including for Aerosmith. And I can't remember exactly what it was called. I think it was alt.fan.aerosmith or something like that. But anyway, I don't remember all the details, but someone was able to get questions to Jack Douglas from those of us who were on the the news group. And Jack Douglas actually came in, again, this would have been mid to late 90s, and answered some of those questions. My memory is that he answered them in all capital letters. The question I had asked, and again, sorry, I don't remember exactly, but I said something about why do Brad and Tom and Joey allow Stephen to keep putting all those ballads on the albums is a very it's a very me question i suppose and that was one of the ones that jack douglas uh actually responded to and i remember his response was pretty short and it said something to the effect they like driving their ferraris too i'll always remember that i think that's a pretty interesting point maybe at this period of their lives in 2012 Jack Douglas, who was with them in the height of their drug use, was kind of a friend of the band, is maybe the unofficial sixth member of the band. Maybe Jack Douglas is a little too close to to them to whip them, to get the best out of them at this point. He's more their buddy than someone who will push them to do their very best. I don't know. Maybe that's not fair. It's just a theory. I don't really have any evidence of that necessarily. But what I do know is music from another dimension is lousy. It starts okay, but even then, the very beginning is this ridiculous monologue that's read by Douglas about this mysterious power having the ability to take over our stereos. It goes along with the album cover, which is sort of out of 1950s science fiction. Not exactly hip and modern, I suppose. Anyway, that first song, though, is Love XXX. In the lyrics of the song, it's love three times a day. So I guess that's what one would call it. It's not a classic Aerosmith song by any stretch, but it's not bad. Steven Tyler's doing that riffing thing that you hear at the end of Draw the Line, for example. It's pretty good. It's fine. The next song is Oh Yeah. So the first two song titles are Love XXX and then Oh Yeah. It's okay. Then the next song is beautiful, again, with these song titles, and it's garbage. It's the first ballad on the record. There's a lot more to come. Tell Me is next. It's not great either. But then you get to the first song I'm actually really excited about. It's Out Go the Lights. It is a reminder of some of the best Aerosmith songs. Look, when Aerosmith mixes genres, it doesn't always work. We'll hear it with Country on this album, for example. But when Aerosmith maintains that funky side of them, that not all the ballads, not rock and roll meets Luther Vandross, but when rock and roll meets James Brown, and I'm not talking just about, for example, Walk This Way, the classic example of this, I suppose, 
but also when you think about the title track off Get a Grip, the title track off Just Push Play, when Aerosmith marries their style to a funky sound, it's really good. They are really good at that. And Out Go the Lights is that mixture of Aerosmith meeting sort of James Brown. It's the best song on the album, bar none. Maybe it goes on a little too long, but it's still really good. It's followed by Legendary Child, which is another among the best two or three songs on the album. I understand the New England Patriots have got an adopted version that they use as a, as official team song. Then you have What Could Have Been Love. And this is a wretched song. It's a ballad. It's countryfied. It's that mix of Aerosmith and country. Steven Tyler in 2012 apparently believed the best way for a white guy to make pop radio was through country music. You see this when all of a sudden, 40-some years into his career, a few years later, he decides to release a country album. Maybe that's a smart strategy, but this isn't the song to do it. Street Jesus is the next song on the album. It's a favorite of many. I think it's sort of tuneless, but it does have a little bit more of that get up and go like Love Three Times a Day had or Out Go the Lights. It's not awful by any stretch of the imagination, and I'm in the minority, I think, where a lot of Aerosmith fans think it's either the first or the second best song on the album. After Street Jesus comes Can't Stop Loving You, Aerosmith's ballad with Carrie Underwood. The American Idol star phones in her parts, maybe literally. It certainly does not sound like she's in the studio. Many Aerosmith fans thought this would be the Run DMC moment, the song that, with Carrie Underwood's popularity, could save the album, get them onto pop radio. But it's another terrible ballad. It's just turgid. My guess is Carrie Underwood's people wouldn't let Aerosmith release it even though they probably wanted to. And so it goes. That's the first nine songs. I could go on and hit them all, but what's the point? There's two Joe Perry songs on Music from Another Dimension, and the one called Something is among the best on the album, although, again, not exactly the most imaginative album title. But Joe on Something, he plays like he wants to take the girls in the front row home with him. There's a lot of fire in it. On the other hand, there's also a song on this record called Lover a lot, L O V E R, and then A L O T. It's three minutes and 35 seconds long. It has eight writers, including Brad Whitford's guitar tech. There's only five people in the band. If it takes eight people to come up with Lover a lot, maybe you should have left it off the album. The 15th and final song on their record is another ballad. It's either the fifth or the sixth at this point. I've kind of lost count. Music from Another Dimension is just bad. I don't know. You could maybe make it better by shortening it, which is one of those weird things that just by trimming the fat, you actually can make something better by making it more concise or something. I think if you did that on this record, you could maybe have one that's as good as Just Push Play, maybe even a little better. These are probably the last records we're ever going to get from Aerosmith and Van Halen. For his part, David Lee Roth seems to have moved on. He has said as much anyway. He has also intimated that Eddie Van Halen, obviously secretive, is not in the best of health. I don't know whether that's true or not. I certainly don't have those kind of sources. 
maybe Eddie Van Halen and Alex and Wolfgang would make a record with Sammy Hagar, but Sammy seems to think that Michael Anthony should be involved if they were even to think about that. And that would mean that Wolfgang would have to give way, which he probably would. But who knows? That seems like a lot to happen. It's 2012. These guys are in their 70s in some respects, and certainly Sammy is. I don't know that we can count on anything else happening. It really does feel like a different kind of truth will be the final studio album for Van Halen. As for Aerosmith, almost everybody's in their 70s at this point. And if you've read comments from multiple band members over the recent years, they make albums not to make art, but they make albums to make money. And there's no money in that anymore, which is ultimately Aerosmith's problem. Van Halen made a classic Van Halen record, taking some old songs to make something they knew their fans would love. And if it's the last one, it's a triumph. Aerosmith, on the other hand, made a record with something for everyone, not just their diehard fans, but for everybody. And they didn't make it for them to love, but they made it just hoping they would like it. And that's why it fails. This record wasn't for the Blue Army, as Aerosmith called their denim-wearing fans in the 70s. It's for all the stations on iHeartRadio. 60-year-old guys, which Aerosmith was when they made this album, 60-year-old long hairs can't be pop stars, but they could be rock stars. Sometimes it seems like 60-plus-year-old long hairs are the only people who want that job. I don't know, maybe I'm unfair. I mean, if you were 18 when you first heard Aerosmith do Angel off the Permanent Vacation album, you are now also eligible to join the AARP. My point, of course, being that in 2012 and certainly in 2020, the difference between 1970s Aerosmith and the early Geffen years Aerosmith of the late 80s and 90s isn't all that different. I mean, it's all classic rock radio at this point, I suppose. Still... Music from another dimension sounds like Aerosmith doing that Steve Buscemi meme we've all seen on the internet where he approaches people in high school and says, how do you do, fellow kids? You just want a little more from a band that's going to call themselves America's Greatest. Hey, thanks for listening again. I'm still just a schlub that's doing this at my kitchen table. So I would really appreciate it, obviously, if you subscribed and liked and gave five stars on Apple Podcasts and gave a review. And I don't necessarily mean some well-thought-out review like you would see in some sort of magazine. It can be more like an eBay review. Good shipping, thanks, A++, whatever. Anyway, whatever you can do, I would appreciate it. Next time, I think I'm going to do maybe not the Pete Rose equivalent Uh, But something sort of like that. Everybody likes to argue about halls of fame, right? Well, I do have a beef with the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. And I'll talk about that next time on Well Disguised.